Hey guys, I want to start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004. I'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational. So if you could help me out by hitting me up on Instagram or Facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests, topics, and questions, I'd really appreciate it. Also, I know I, you, I've, you've heard me say this. But please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been the title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right. Let's get into this next episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today we are going to talk about hunting in Alaska, the opportunities that are there, uh, maybe get into the draw process a little bit and kind of poke around that. Um, we're talking to Jeff Lund and uh, yeah, well, wherever the podcast goes, it goes on this one. What's going on, man? How are you? uh doing pretty well thanks for having me on i appreciate it yeah absolutely thanks for being uh, being a part of it um why don't you uh kind of give us a little rundown about what yourself and kind of how you fit into this puzzle okay um grew up on prince of wales island here in southeast alaska i now uh live and teach uh, high school english i'm a freelance writer and podcaster in uh, catch can so um love to uh, be outside ever since I was a little kid growing up on Prince of Wales was great for uh, fishing. Some people are a little bit disappointed when they find out I didn't grow up hunting just because Prince of Wales is so popular for black bear and for deer hunting and whatnot. So the fact that I didn't hunt growing up, it was uh, some people say, how could you not, not hunt? But um, family just really into fishing and uh, the way the sports schedule uh, worked out cross country is um, at the, in August and then it finishes up in September because it gets so stinking cold and that went right into basketball. So every weekend we were, uh, had a cross country trip or basketball trip. And so Southeast Alaska is a bunch of islands. So we would be gone for two or three days uh, for these trips. So I didn't really have any weekends to do much hunting and parents, um, we came up from Colorado and they're used to whitetail hunting. So, you know, Southeast was a little bit different. So just mainly, mainly fished growing up, but, uh, when I moved back after uh, teaching high school in California for a little bit, really got into hunting and it's been just unbelievable. So now between the fishing and the hunting, I'm just overwhelmed with opportunities and decided to really tell the story about it. So I write a column for the general empire, uh, wrote a couple of books and then um, decided to do a podcast to just kind of fill in the gaps and um, kind of tell the whole story. I really like listening to people's podcast about coming up to Alaska um, but I felt there was maybe a, a, an opportunity for me to do a podcast from Southeast Alaska. Mm -hmm. So people get an idea of what it's like to live here year round and, and, and all that. So, um, uh, I'm I got to go kill my dog. I, I like, I feel like every time I sat down today to do a podcast, this, this dog has been barking. I, I honestly like never makes a peep unless I got something going on. Hold on. Sorry.
All right. Sorry about that. I'm back. No problem. Um, so what's the name of your podcast again? Uh, on Step Alaska. On Step. That's right. I knew I was going to, I was going to butcher that. Um, how's that going for you? It's good. Um, it's been a lot of fun, you know, and it's, uh, as a side project teaching being the full-time gig and then freelance writing and the podcast stuff I can do on my own terms. So I'm not really right. I, I, I take some time into it. I put effort into it. I bought some good equipment, but, uh, you know, it's not desperate for, or needing of, of new sponsors, bigger sponsors and everything like that. So, um, it can stay relaxed and I can have fun with it. I'm not, I'm not super stressed. So that's nice. Nice. Awesome. You authored a book too, no? Yeah. My, uh, I actually I've, I've written three. My first one going home was just mostly kind of about, uh, moving back to, uh, Alaska in um 2013 um and just kind of that first summer or that first winter back because when you're a kid you're growing up in southeast alaska you're so busy with school and Mm -hmm. with sports and basketball and again traveling everywhere we went we'd be gone for three or four days my senior year uh we went on a basketball trip that was a 14-day road trip um took the took ferries we took airplanes we got stuck in yakutat for a few days we got stuck in gus davis so it was just you know, crazy. You're gone 14 days, just gone two weeks. So, um, that was a lot of fun as a high school kid. But when I moved back to kind of help, my mom had some health issues. So to take care of her, mm-hmm. you know, being back as a 30 year old in Klawak, Alaska, it's, that is some very, very dark, lonely, cold time. So it was, it was pretty brutal. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a lot nicer to be in catch can bigger community. Um, a lot of fun and, to, um, be back is, is, is pretty sweet. Nice. So, um, what Prince of Wales, Prince of Wales. I can't remember that. There's no Grizzlies on Prince of Wales, correct? No, no Grizzlies, which is, which Lots is kind of, of bizarre. Men, it's the third largest Island in the United States, over 900 miles of, of coastline. Hmm. Um, and it's unit two for anybody who's, who's looking up, uh, opportunities to hunt there. So unit two is just this, you can hunt for blacktail deer. Uh, you can hunt for black bear, but there, there's no elk, there's no moose, there's no caribou, there's no brown bear. So, it's super nice to be able to go hunting and not have to worry about, right? You know, grizzlies showing up or brown bear showing up. So, in that regard, it's super nice to, yeah. I, I've maybe heard of one person having some deer uh, taken from their camp, and that was um, in that that high scrub brush up in the alpine when you're hanging a deer it's not very high, just kind of getting it up, up off the ground, uh, the, off the ground and mm-hmm. maybe tucked away. So the ra- ravens and crows don't get it, but I've only heard of one person ever losing any, uh, any, any meat to a, to a black bear. Cause they tend to be pretty standoffish and not, not get around there. So yeah, super nice. But when you're wandering around in the woods, when you got uh, grizzlies or brown bears around, it's a, it's a, Brad's a, a different element to the hunting experience for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I've been, I mean, cause I was looking, I remember I was looking into Prince of Wales. I wanted to do a blacktail hunt. I've been wanting to go blacktail hunting forever. You now we hunt blacktail in, I hunt every, almost every year in California, which is, it's not the same blacktail though. Mm. You know, um, yeah, these are sick of blacktail, correct? Yeah. 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 So, yeah the, the, you were, uh, the, the Columbia blacktail down South, like that's a fun hunt, but in it, when I lived in California, I did go hunting for two years and it's just crazy. It's, it's so difficult to get away from people. And as a kid growing up in Alaska, like when we'd go to the river, we'd go to a spot and we didn't, 
see anybody. We didn't expect to see anybody. So it was just so bizarre being, you try to get away from people. There's always someone else. There's always someone else around a different corner. So if nothing else, just the isolation that you might be able to get if you get to the right spot up here just makes the experience just so rich and so nice. Right. Um, I forgot. There, you, did you say, or I can't remember. Is there, there's an error, is there mountain goats on Prince of Wales or no? There's mountain goats uh, in Unit 1, which is uh, catch cans in Unit 1. Okay. Um, so it's just a little bit east, and it's uh, catch cans on Ravilla Island, and uh, it's right next to the mainland. And they brought some mountain goats in, I think, in the 80s um, or something like that. So there's a couple of draw hunts that you can put in for that have very, very low um, draw rates. Right. Um, but one thing the Alaska do- does is that it's – totally fair like there's not an allotment i think there's maybe a couple hunts in the state that there is a a resident versus non-resident allotment but everything else is just totally uh, everybody has the same opportunity to draw it the only difference is that uh in some of the hunts uh, require a guide so mountain goat does require a guide so if you draw that um then you have to get a guide you can also do a registration hunt mm-hmm. and registration hunts they're not really difficult to get a hold of a tag um it's not a matter of you know there, there's only like 50 or so or 100 so you have to be waiting online or somehow wherever they can only release them you can you get on there for the most part just a matter of registering getting it and then whether or not you need a guide um, i think the only one that might be difficult would be the registration for caribou on the 40 mile herd which is pretty close to fairbanks mm-hmm. that thing's on the road system and so those those caribou and that quota whatever that quota is year in year out gets filled pretty quick so you have to get that registration and you got to, and that's a pretty quick turnaround. You might even have maybe two days or something like that until you have to um, uh, file your harvest report. But that thing gets uh, filled up pretty quick. But outside of that one, the registration tags are pretty easy to get uh, over the over the counter. Okay. Um, and and registration tags are for basically for every species, but they're just, it's a special hunt that's got a quota. Is that what I'm understanding? I'm sorry. I kind of. Yeah, it's um, so you have your over a counter. That's your regular harvest ticket. So if you're gonna hunt, uh, let's just say where I live here in Ketchikan, you can get um, uh, you can either draw a mountain goat, mm-hmm. but if you don't draw a mountain goat as a non-resident, you can get a registration tag. And there's no real limit. I think it's like 900 or something like that. Some number that's that's crazy. Okay. Um, but based on as things are being harvested, if like a whole bunch of people can get tags. So let's say that these are just hypothetical numbers, like a hundred people register register for the hunt. Mm-hmm. But because the likelihood of all 100 people tagging actually out. hunting it mm-hmm. and then be tagging out, it's not going to happen. So once they get to the number that they feel is a good enough um, or enough of a harvest, then they'll shut it down. So if you do get a registration hunt, you have to check and just make sure that they haven't closed it. Okay. Um, so I think there's maybe only one, one closure um someone shot or a couple of people shot nannies hmm. which you can shoot um but it closes doesn't the count unit. against you but closes it closes it a lot faster yeah. yeah yeah so that's a lot that's well that's a lot like our bear hunt here um where there's a female harvest limit of two like mm, yeah. in a unit and if that female harvest limit is met then it closes down the whole unit which is the craziest thing because you could keep on hunting for if nobody shoots a sow, you can hunt boars for the whole season. You know, um, it's <laughs> yeah. ki- it's kind of a weird. I, I I get why they do it, and 
for the most part, it works out because, you know, for every bear you see and the 50-50 chance that it's a sow. So right. I guess, it, you know, it hasn't been a problem where they over, you know, they overtake too many in one unit. Uh, and we have like another, now we have this like odd system here in, in Arizona for uh, the overcounted archery deer. So it used to be you go buy your tag, you can hunt any unit, any open unit for the full length of the hunt. Now there's limits, you know, five to 25, something, I think 30 is probably the max of mule deer in each unit. And if it's met, then that unit closes. So now you have mm-hmm. to go to a different unit. And it kind of sucks in a way. Well, it sucks in a lot of ways, but one of the things I think it does is it causes crowding. So, yeah. you know, Joe Schmo and his friends were, were hunting in unit A and, you know, that closed. So now they just went to unit B and there's already, you know, a bunch of guys in there. And it just mm-hmm. it gets it gets kind of ridiculous to my in my opinion uh, as this, as the season progresses yeah so. yeah i totally agree with that i also like from the other standpoint too that when you're making argument for how effective management is being used in the taking of these animals mm-hmm. and how if they analyze the carrying load and say hey we can have this hunt because look we're being responsible with it the anti-hunters will say Oh, look at that. They're just murdering everything indiscriminately. Like, no, 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 no. Here's what happens if this happens. If mm-hmm. this happens, this happens. This is scientifically based. We've, we've included people. This isn't just a reckless. This isn't 1870 and 80 with the buffalo here. Right. right that's that's right. the old time now. We, we're managing things better. And, and so from that perspective, it's it's pretty good. But then it also puts the onus on us as, as hunters to make sure that we're making responsible shots and making sure that we're doing our best to to take what we intend to get. Right. Right. So let's go back to Prince of Wales and where you're, where you live. Um, let's talk about the hunting. Um, I guess the hunting opportunities there. Um, and so you're, you're they have the black tail. We have and black bear primary or the two primary. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, then, and then there's, yeah. No, there's nothing else. Um, that's it. Um, there's there's wolf on there um, if you could hunt them, but I if you hardly see him around there, and it's so thick. Um, and this is kind of the crazy thing about uh, about the Unit Two Prince of Wales Island. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the hotbed for a lot of the wolf um, conversations up here about and protection of the wolves and and all that. But it, the area is so dense and it's so sparsely populated it's really difficult to get accurate counts of how many wolves there are so Mm -hmm. even though there's a tremendous there's a high population of them it's hard to see them so if you look at the at the regulations and it says unit two prince wells island and you go down it says wolf you can take five wolves between september 1st and march 31st like that doesn't mean that you can just go wolf hunting like you can but the likelihood of just being able to see them is just so remote yeah Um, that's kind of like a thing man that it just it kind of drives me nuts in a, in a way that it's out there that um, you know people people think that a tag represents a dead animal. Yeah, you know it's they don't look at it as it's okay. It's an opportunity. 
Jesus, my computer's making noises at me. I don't know if you heard that. Um, it's an opportunity to go hunting. And yeah. there's no there's no guarantees, you know? Yeah. It's funny. It's almost laughable because to have a five wolf limit, it's like, yeah, right. Like mm-hmm. getting one is hard enough. Right. So yeah, try and get five. Like try to try to shoot a whole pack, you know. So it's it's pretty silly. But again, people who don't know anything, like you said, they think that everyone who gets a hunting license is going to get five wolves, which means there's going to be five hundred wolves taken. It's like no, 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 no. not going to happen. The vast majority of them, or the overwhelmingly vast majority of wolves taken on Prince Wales Island, are taken by trappers mm-hmm. um, who have to be really, really good because they are they are very tough to trap with, uh, with density and with just amount of open terrain like they're not hemmed in by roads it's just as this natural habitat and there's been a lot of logging on there um but yeah it's just a it's 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 wild and it's and it's great but so that's where i grew up i actually live in unit one so if you go right across clarence Strait, i'm in unit one Mm -hmm. which is southeast mainland Uh, it's divided into um uh a b c and d so i'm in one a so i could get uh but the, the bucks, it's the same sort of thing. You got uh, bucks, I can get four bucks. Um, goat would be that registration or the draw for me. And non-residents have a have a registration opportunity too. It's the RG001. Um, but it requires a guide, so you'd have to figure out the guide thing. So Right, right. Um, those are kind of the main things. There's some moose tucked around in some pockets, but um, some of those are draw. And then it just, Southeast Alaska is difficult because of, of transporters because of just the the islands and the getting around and mm-hmm. i don't know if you've seen any of uh, uh randy newberg's bear hunting stuff in southeast you know renting the skiff and getting the skiff somewhere then worrying about tides and worrying about the skiff going up on the rocks and all that and Renella obviously has filmed a whole bunch off uh, prince of wales island and you know it's it's tough terrain and there's a lot of logistical things so i think a lot of people if you're looking for a premium moose hunt you'd go further north um if you're looking for Obviously, there's no caribou down here. Um, mm-hmm. So the only real difference would be uh, the draw and registration goat and then moose. Um, but, yeah, I haven't even – I have not got a moose tag here in southeast, and I haven't really thought about moose hunting here in southeast. That's something I got to do up north where you can do a float or you can do something that's a little less challenging and you have a chance to maybe get one of those. Uh, they're going to fit within the limit, whether it's a spike fork or 50 – inch antlers or brow tines mm, gotcha that's kind of actually a buddy of mine and i were talking about it that might be that might be might be the play this year for me um to go moose mm. hunting and i was thinking about possibly my hand in alaska and I, i'm not 100 percent sure because there's it's like it depends on where you're at and what species like whether you mm-hmm. what you need a guide for what you don't need a guide for and it's just i don't know I don't know. Maybe you could yeah. shed some light on that. I don't know if you know all the all the uh, ins and outs of what that is, but um, I'm, yeah. I'm, the nice thing about sorry to cut you off. No, no, there. go ahead. All right. uh, the nice thing about Alaska is that a your draw it's it's all free, so you don't have someone that has you know seventy five preference points that's been saved up or anything like that. Um, and there is usually, if you don't draw, there's some sort of registration backup in a lot of areas, but it tends to be pretty expensive. You have to get up to somewhere, you're going to fly out of, of Fairbanks or fly out of Wasilla or Willow or Kotzebue or Nome or something like that. So 
there tends to be good opportunities that are registration hunts, but then the logistics end up being pretty tough. So um, you're going to be in an area, you get flown out, are you going to float down? Are you going to be in one spot? And how many days do you have? And what's the weather going to be? So I've never been on a moose hunt. I've been on some on caribou hunts and have some buddies at Fairbanks, but I haven't been able to make it kind of go because that's moose season tends to coincide with the very beginning of school. And as much as I'm okay with taking a week off, I take my days off. I've earned those days. I'm there every single other day. So uh, people can't complain about me not being committed to, to teaching, but that's also a nice thing about teaching up here is that people understand and know that hunting is kind of part of the culture. Yes. It's what you do. Right. Kids are gone. I had five or six kids gone the last couple of weeks for, you know, going out with their, with their family to go hunt. And it's just part of the culture. So, uh, but that tends to be around the first week or two of, of the school. So it's kind of nice to get the kids going a little bit before I'd be gone. So I feel kind of guilty in that uh, second week of school, taking a week off, you know. So um, one of these years, though, I got to make a moose hunt uh, happen. Yeah. I got fortunate enough to go. Uh, I drew a tag in Montana for Shiras um, nice. last year, and I was able to get one. Um, but it took me 17 years to draw that tag. (laughs) Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. My wife, my wife was getting her PhD at University of Wyoming in Laramie. And so I went down there and as a resident, we got an elk tag for her. And so like, you know, we're practicing calling. We just set up game cameras, everything like that during the summer. And so we're going out there hunting and we just hear some heavy steps. I'm like, oh my gosh, here it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's a stinking moose. Oh, yeah. like, all right. Well, I mean, people don't see a moose a whole lot, but here we are seeing one. And then uh, we go to camp that night and we hear heavy footsteps and then we hear uh, raking on the branches in uh-huh. the middle of the night. So I don't really know what's going on. And it's like, that doesn't sound like an elk. It sounds like branch on paddle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's a stinking moose. And then we hear other moose tracks coming from a different angle. And we are camped under this tree like right between like in this travel corridor almost between an open area mm-hmm. and between like where the camp stuff is. I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, if these things fight, it's going to be right outside the tent. So sure enough, right you hear like the, the tot, 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 and then just boom, the antlers come together and you hear the feet. And so like Abby and I like, like got up and I was looking for the keys. I was going to unzip and like, we we're going to make a break for it, but I couldn't find the keys. So we just like kind of push ourselves up against the tent which is as close to the tree as possible. And the losing moose, it just sounds like he's getting pushed right into the tent. Oh, so in the morning when we went out and looked, it was you know more like 15 yards than 15 feet. But man, it was hilarious that we're on this elk, elk uh, trip mm-hmm. and we have elk on the game cameras and, you know, just thinking elk, elk, elk. And then, you know, moose, like what the heck is going on here? But crazy yeah yeah that's awesome i i went to colorado last yeah last year man oh my god i saw so many killer just giant moose just was the craziest thing i mean i saw some quite a few elk too and got into elk but um man i was wishing i had a moose tag i we had some (laughs) absolute studs um yeah and it's so good too you get so much excellent meat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i have a really sad story about my moose though um what happened i lost it i lost all the meat 
Um, we got it back to my buddy's cabin and put it up in a freezer. And I left because he was going to – it was a Saturday when I shot it. And I left Sunday morning. Um, I'm sorry, it was a Friday. I stayed another day on Saturday, and then I left Sunday morning. Um, and he was going to – on Monday, he was going to bring down to the processor. They were going to process the meat, freeze it, and ship it. And um, somewhere between where we put the meat inside the fridge to when I got home, the freezer went down. And Ooh. all my meat spoiled. That's brutal. Yep. That is, that is brutal. Yeah. I, 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 I felt uh, absolutely like, I can't, like, how does it, you know, only me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> only me this would happen to. Like, I was so looking forward to that. I had all these, like, yeah. recipes I was going to try and all this other stuff. I've, I've eaten moose meat a few times, but um, nope. Didn't get to eat my own. It was very, yeah, very, very frustrating. Yeah. It's one of those things that you'd, you'd be overly paranoid to check your freezer all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not something you think about. Like, why would it shut down? But yeah. it stinking happens. Yeah, you know, I've never had it happen to me, crazy. but I, we, we have two freezers, and they, they've, they've got some years in them. And so I'm thinking, man, it'd be nice to have, because we have two chest freezers. They're both fairly small, but they complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a stand-up one is so nice because you can organize way better. They're more expensive, but you know you can get to the bottom, so it's easier to separate. Because right now we got our halibut and king salmon is on the bottom, and then we got caribou, goat, and deer on top of it. So I'm like, man, I can really go for some halibut right now. We got to dig down to the bottom, and so of course it's open longer, which allows more like moisture and everything in there, which allows you know it just messes things up. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having a an extra freezer is never a bad thing. But you don't want to be too paranoid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I've never had a freaking issue, dude. I, my my freezers. I live in Arizona. My, I got a fridge that's from like the '90s and a box <laughs> freezer. You know, that's probably 10 years old in my garage, and it gets to like 120 in there, and Ugh. and they both run fine all the time. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, it was it was pretty sad. It was yeah. I, it took me a little. It took me a little bit to get over it, but yeah, yeah. So now I'm. I went to. I definitely want to like do it again. So I have. The yeah. Meat. Yeah, I went to college at uh, U of A in Tucson. Oh, you did. So uh, whenever I would um, after the first year, because first year in the dorms you got that little mini fridge, like there's nothing. But uh, after that, when I would come home from the summers, um, bring fish. And then uh, cook up some fish. People are like, oh, I'm not really sure if I like fish. Like, well, you're going to like this fish because you're used to farmed Atlantic salmon. You haven't had the real good stuff here. Right. So uh, l- let me hit you with some some real fresh good king salmon, something that's not farmed. So I, was, I, I had a lot of friends. Yep. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So um, I was asking you, I want so as far as the, the blacktail hunting – in unit one and unit two, that is the blacktail hunting is basically just over the counter, right? You just buy a license yeah. and and have at it. I know some places only two, but some was four. You can. Mm-hmm. Um, what is uh, what's your take on on bow hunting for for blacktail? Is it doable where you're at, or is it just way too thick and 
you know, you got to kind of like hope to see him from a ways off. Um, definitely doable. I have a couple of friends who uh, hunt blacktail blacktail in the Alpine. Some of the areas are pretty rugged and pretty extreme, so there's always the concern after you hit one with the arrow that it's going to run off a cliff or do something like that. So, but mm. uh, I got a couple of buddies that are really really good. Um, I've gone bow hunting for them um, during the rut, which is nice. You can call them in. So as long as they're coming into a muskeg where it's, it's pretty open, a little open, boggy area. Mm-hmm. Um, I had um, two opportunities on back-to-back days. And I'm still haunted by this because I haven't redeem- uh, redeemed myself. Um, there was this just little opening and the thing stuck in, it, it came right into the window. But I'd been sitting for so long and it was raining. So I was just cold, cold, cold. Mm-hmm. And I stood up and like, you know, you can't really feel your legs. And like my hands were numb and I had my face mostly covered. And so when I, I drew back to get my anchor, I couldn't like feel my thumb or my wrist. A little, so I didn't really know. And I just kind of trying to figure out where it was. And I mean, I missed by a, a five or six inches in front of it, which is, you know, two feet off from 40 yards, which is good because it was a clean miss. But I could just remember it came out perfectly exactly as I wanted it. I went through the transition, the really thick, brushy, horrible stuff. And I was posted up in a perfect spot. So if anything was bumped on the edge of the muskeg that was trying to make its way through, it would come right through this area. So I had it totally planned perfectly. And I just smoked the shot. It was it was pretty bad. So um, that sort of stuff happens. But, uh, you know, it, it can also be difficult to track the deer because, A, it's so thick. And then, and then B, if it is raining, like it's just going to rain away any sort of right. um, blood and, blood trail. And it rains um, quite often over there, right? Yeah, in um, on Prince of Wales, there's about 100, 120 inches of rain a year. Uh, here in Ketchikan, I think we get 140 to 160. Um, so it's just it's just so wet, but it makes the terrain so lush and so beautiful, and it's just fantastic habitat. Um, but it's super super um, uh, thick, and like right now, we had a whole bunch of rain, terrible storm the last couple of days. There are actually some landslides over on Prince of Wales. Um, there's a landslide actually in Wrangell that, um, there's a couple of people missing and it took out a couple of houses. So super, super tragic this week, you know, wow, wow, two days nice. before Thanksgiving, just absolutely horrible. Um, but then the same storm is putting you know, 10 to 12 inches of snow in Juneau. So we tend to get a lot more of the rain, which is if you, or which is different than the Northern part of Southeast, uh, uh where they're getting a lot more snow. So I'm in 1A, up in 1C, which is Juneau, mm-hmm. tons of snow down here, mostly rain. So maybe two feet of snow per year, but just mostly rain. Damn, that's crazy. We get about <laughs> 13 inches. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we get. I think we average 18 inches in October alone. Yeah, that's freaking nuts. What What's the best time of year to go blacktail hunting? Um, I, I like August because it's Alpine. Okay. And so there's opportunities. People will, will fly out to some lakes and Kodiak is actually the, the big one. Uh, that, that's unit eight. Um, Kodiak's got a lot of popularity because it's, it's pretty brushy, but it's otherwise fairly open. Um, and so you can go in like from shore from a lake and you can get around there. I've never been there. Um, but, uh, super popular. A lot of people are making films there that are, that are pretty interesting and uh, yeah, but pretty good gotta population. Deal, you got to deal with grizzlies or Kodiaks actually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and those are, those are the big ones. Yeah. So, um, 
August is nice because you can get into the Alpine lakes, uh, get flown in or, um, what my wife and I do is we either take a skiff to somewhere and, and tie up anchor, um, or go to a dock and then hike up all the timber to get to that Alpine up top. And, um, just, just great. Cause you got those nice long days, uh, when it is sunny and warm, it's just, you can't beat it. You're glassing around, you can find embedded and then they stick out so much compared to the terrain. It's a very lush green um, foliage up there. They just kind of carp- carpets everything except for the sheer rock faces. So they stick out tremendously. There's no hiding whatsoever, um, which is awesome. You can just glass them up. And, Are they uh, in velvet really at that hot, time? Or? Yeah, they're in velvet. Um, mid to late month, they uh, you start to see some of them coming out of the velvet. But, uh, yeah, it's fun to be up there even on the hot days because sometimes they'll be attracted to the last little patches of snow. So you can glass up a patch of snow and see four or five just nice bucks, and you can try to make a move over there. And um, Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But then also rut, you know, the last week of, of October, first couple of weeks of November are great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you happen to get a nice day and two weeks ago, um, we had a couple of showers, but it was otherwise pretty nice. And, um, you know, you get to walk around the musk eggs, do a couple circuits. And uh, my wife shot a real nice uh, four by three, and it's just – it's great, but it can still be crowded. I mean, you would think that hunting in Southeast Alaska or hunting in Alaska in general wouldn't be crowded, but everybody has the same idea and the road system in Ketchikan is not at all extensive. Right. So everybody who has a boat is going out to all the closest little bays and places and everywhere that there's an old forest service dock They're They're tying up to the dock and they're offloading their four wheelers and they're zooming around. But we happen to find a little, a little hidden gem that no one else was at. And so we, we, anchored up the the skiff and we had our seek outside hot tent so we could dry out and um end up taking three deer out of that spot and it was just kind of working through the musk eggs and it was it was slow calling but also kind of still hunting and that you move super super slow not actually staying in the same spot in like a stand or anything like that but Mm -hmm. just slow moving through the transitions looking for uh, nice musk eggs looking for rubs and um, looking for good bedding areas and um super super fun but, uh, you know, if it is one of those, if you happen to, to book your trip and you come up here in October and it's raining six inches over the over the weekend or over the week that you're here, like, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be wet and it's going to be tough to get dry. But if yeah. you happen to time it right and you're lucky with the weather, it's, it's a lot of fun. So that August hunt, that is that archery only or is that a rifle hunt also? Uh, rifle hunt. Oh, it is. Wow. You can, you can do either. I think um, one of the only – the two hunts that I know of that I can think about off the top of my head, there's an archery-only um, Edelin Island elk hunt. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's the uh, caribou archery uh, only within the, the five-mile corridor around the pipeline up north in the, in the Brooks Range area. Okay. Um, but, yeah, there's very few rifle-only – or weapon only uh, stipulations in the state. We don't have like a separate muzzle loader season, rifle season, archery. It's it's pretty much whatever you want to use at that time outside of um, a few specific tags. But they're pretty good about specifying exactly what uh, what you can do and when. Hell yeah! See, that's really that August hunt's really interesting to me. The part of the reason why I haven't pulled the trigger on going because, like you said, it's that last week of October you know, first week of November and typically that first week of November, I'm in South Dakota and my wife would probably divorce me if I said, Hey, I'm going (laughs) 
a week in our, the last week of October and then go away for two weeks in November, which is what I typically do. So, yeah. um, but damn, August sounds like, and I would love to get one in velvet. Yeah, I, I think most people end up doing the August just because it mash, it matches so much better with the down south seasons. I know yeah. when we were hunting Wyoming, um, October first was the was the mule deer. So wife and I both got uh, mule deer um, around that opener. So it's you know your prime time local tags down there are, are October November. So August tends to be the year where nothing else is really going down. It's like you, you get go to Alaska, get your go go on a blacktail or on a caribou hunt, and then come back for elk. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the August is is a good hunt. One of the drawbacks, of course, is that Southeast Alaska, again, being islands, is you don't have the road system that you have down south where you can just drive somewhere else. If someone's in the spot, you know, okay, I'm going to go to this drainage or this drainage. It's right. If you commit to a fly out to this lake you're at this lake so if you get weathered in you're stuck there uh-huh. um if someone else from a different transporter there's limited transporters if someone else gets flown in that lake then you know you're going to have someone else there or you know if someone else hikes up from the ocean so the likelihood of having three or four groups at the same lake is pretty low mm-hmm. but if you're the fourth group in there so there's been 14 or so hunters in there since the opener you know, there's some pressure, but there's still a lot of deer in a lot of these areas. So, um, that August hunt fly out can be a pretty special experience. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people do it pretty attractive. Yeah. I think I might have to do that. I think that, that, that <laughs> is my, possibly my goal. Cause I mean, August is a big hunting month for us down here too. Like, well, it's opener, opener for deer down here in Arizona. In August? Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, that, okay. That's like the twenty, yeah, the twenty something of August. Usually. Okay, or, so a little bit later. Yeah, and then or August nine, nine times out of ten, I'll go either to Utah or um, um, if I could draw a tag in Nevada, I go to Nevada. You know, that's okay. that's all August deer hunting, and um, yeah. This that kind of works out good for me because right now, like you know, all right, I've I've been to Utah and I've been to Wyoming and and uh, Nevada. Like, well, if I can yeah. go tag in Nevada, I'm going to Nevada. But <laughs> there's yeah. it's yeah. very hard to get a tag there. Now, now, yeah, uh, a good buck is. So I, I just pulled up your Instagram right now. Um, mm. I was looking at so your wife is holding a, that last picture. She's holding yeah. A, that's is that a good oh, what a, a good representation of a of yeah a that's, that, that's a that's a that's a super nice buck um, okay that's uh it, it has it has good mass um and that's kind of when you look at a good buck you kind of count the uh the points so a four by four is kind of what people are looking for right um, we really don't get a whole lot of bucks with drop tines stickers things like that so um they do occur there's definitely some of those around there's a lot of kind of bizarre looking ones that are coming out of Kodiak that really look kind of some of those, you know, like tumbleweed looking white tails that you get in, in the in the South and mm-hmm. Midwest, like some of those, like you're getting some of that in, in Kodiak. And I, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of a sucker for, for more of that, that uniform, just healthy, strong look, um, to, to a buck. So my wife's four by, uh, four by three there. Um, pretty thick beams and it just branches out a little bit at the end, but the mass is good and it was a nice tall buck. Uh, 
so that that's a pretty nice one but uh, i got a nice uniform three by three uh two weeks ago which is which is pretty sweet and i'm liking that so um if you get around or above 100 i've never measured any of my bucks but uh you know i think above 100 is kind of when you're getting to like a really nice um trophy type uh i'm not sure what the boone and crockett cutoff is but um mm-hmm. anything above 100 is, is pretty that's kind of like your range of scoring but uh, uh yeah my wife um shot that one and I was, she was super happy because she she was to the point she didn't really like hunting in rut because it just tends to be colder and wetter and that's like right. if it's if it's um like a dry cold you can just put your puffy on and you're good to go or you can start a fire whereas down here with all that rain like everything is always wet mm. and a wet cold is just so much more miserable so a couple of weeks we've been out it's been 41 degrees and rainy and then it's just ugh, horrible yeah. So she she wanted to shoot all of her bucks in the alpine. She said, "I'm not I'm not going rut hunting this year. I'm just going to shoot all my bucks in the alpine." But we ended up getting two mountain goats in the alpine, and so she, we had either of us had hadn't shot uh, shot a deer, uh, and so we ended up getting um, some some in the rut. And so she loved it. After her first one, she was like, oh, "Okay, I like this again." And then uh, this last one, she was really fired up for that one. So um, yeah, that's a that's a that's a masher buck. That's definitely her bigger her biggest buck. Yeah, that's cool. He's a good looking buck. Um, man, yeah, I'm I'm really intrigued about this August thing. Um, have you have you done much elk hunting by you? I know they have elk on Kodiak. I don't know how good they are, but or what? You know, they, yeah, there's some. I have some friends who've done that hunt, and you you have more of a. I, I think they're. I'm not sure if they're the Roosevelts or or if they're a hybrid, but tend to have pretty big bodies, smaller, uh, more compact, real thick uh, antlers. Right. Um, there's a there's a southeast possibility on Edelin Island, but it's absolutely brutal hunt. Um, so it's either just ridiculously what's, brutal. What's brutal because, about it? Um, the only lakes that you can get flown into are at a lower um, elevation. And so if you're doing the archery, you have to hike up a couple thousand feet up like trailless, real thick, dense devil's club brush mm. forest to get to the top. And then you'd be shuttling the meat through that rather than shuttling the meat through, you know, again, like I'll use Wyoming as the example. It isn't the most extreme, but there are some areas that, uh, that are, that are not super, super difficult. You have heavy packs, but you're making your way through some blowdown. Yeah. Um, gotcha. but, uh, just super, super brutal. And then you don't have the, like if, if something bad happens, you're in like coast guard rescue you type mode. Cause there's, mm. there's, you're not going to, no one else live there. No one lives on the, on the Island. So there's no bystanders. There's no chance of I'm going to hike to the road and someone's going to drive by and help me out. It's, it's you, you hit that in reach coast guard comes to get you and they don't pick everything else up they they even if you're stranded out in a boat they don't rescue the boat they just rescue you off the boat right right so um yeah so it's a pretty it's it's a lot more rugged than people expect um and then you of course you have kodiak and you have raspberry island and you have those which are the uh they have the brown bears around that you're pretty big so Mm um yeah just kind of know what you're in for yeah Okay, so this that other island though, there's no brown bears on that one. 
Uh, no, there are there. There's on Edelin, there's on raspberry, there's on uh, Kodiak, there's all brown bears. Okay, so yeah, everywhere there's elk, there's brown bear, basically. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's just god. a matter of density. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so my dog is barking so much I can't even think straight. <laughs> Give me a second. All right, back, sorry. Nothing like a flying flip-flop through the air to get them to stop. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll do it. Yeah, so the uh, the elk that are um, in the Kodiak area, those are uh, Roosevelt's. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, that, that sounds like fun, but I, I, moose is kind of, moosing mountain go to my two main things, and then blacktail would be the next. I mean, yeah, I, th- I think I caribou too. You can have a super good <laughs> I would love elk to go experience caribou. down there. I think you'd come up here for for one of those other ones, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to go with caribou hunting too. That's kind of like what, what's the what's the story on caribou caribou hunting? Oh man, like do you, you need uh, an outfitter, or you could just you could do just drop camps. You, you can you can do it, and that's another one. I think if if there are three hunts that have been the most blown up by social media shows oh, you know yeah. all that and that's i mean i i enjoy listening to the stories of people who are making stuff happen i'm an advocate for for people making stuff happen when my wife and i go hunting wyoming now like i am the type of person i hope doesn't show up in catch a can you know so it's mm-hmm. like i can't be a hypocrite i yep. can't say hey man, same same boat yep. I hate you locals so um but i think the hunts that have been the most advertised one would be prince of wales deer, uh, deer and bear uh-huh. which has now kind of shifted to kodiak deer um and then the hall road caribou so i mean it's getting it's to the point now where like at the archery caribou hunt, it's it's an over-the-counter tag. You go up there, and someone somewhere talked about the cheapest way because you're, I think it's nine hours from Fairbanks um, Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cheapest way to do that is to rent a U-Haul. So everybody who we saw up there in a U-Haul were like, okay, you watched this show or you listened to this podcast or you did whatever because this is the DIY how to do the haul road hunt. So the Hall Road is definitely on the menu for a lot of people. And when my buddy and I went up there last year, it was pretty crazy to see the amount of people we did because, you know, you're thinking north of the Arctic Circle. Like you're in the Brooks Range. You're in the tundra. You're dropping down into the tundra. The next body of water you're going to hit is the Arctic Ocean. It's crazy. But there were quite a bit of people. And um, there at one point, my buddy, uh, we, we spotted a, a, a bull and it was my, my buddy had first shot. So he was making a stock with his bow and these other people were like drove past and were starting to stock from the opposite angle. I thought, oh man, this is horrible because my buddy's down there. These other people are stocking from the other way. Apparently they, they got a different read on the wind. So it seemed like they were like what? Are, what are you? What are you guys doing? Like the wind's coming from the other direction. So right. the guy ended up beating my buddy there, 
and was going to take a shot from about 20, 30 yards. But there was a little bit of a lip, and so the bull saw him. So the bull spooks across this little creek towards me and underneath the lip on my side. So all of a sudden, it goes from my buddy's bull to this other guy who's stalking its bull to now me. Mm-hmm. I, I leave the spotting scope with my with my, with my my bow, and I, and I get down. And I just see these these antlers kind of coming up toward me, so I get ready. And it finally comes up broadside at 60 yards. I'm like, dude, this is the exact shot that I I practiced for. Like 60 yards, kneeling, standing. This is money. But then I think, man, my buddy's right over this lip. So if I shoot and miss, or I get a pass through, like, what's going to happen? Or is he going to shoot up towards me? So I think I can't take this shot because I don't know what's behind it. My buddy could be behind it. So I didn't take the shot. It kind of looked at me, and then it trotted off. And then I looked behind me, and there's another guy who, with his spotting scope, so I think it may have been the spotters for that other guy. And so, like, this bull, like, you're in the tundra of Alaska. But it's my buddy, then this other guy, then me, then another guy. So four people almost had a shot of this bull. And so when you think of iconic caribou and no one else around, like, you might get that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But but you can also hike around, and there are some people who've done a great job of, and they've they put YouTube videos out there of being able to cross some of these rivers. So if you take a pack raft up there, uh-huh. and you cross some of these rivers, it's it's the same principle of just going further from other people. So the closer you are to the road, the closer you are, are going to be to other people. And my buddy and I we hiked out past the five mile range, but we didn't see anything. Um, it was it was right at the beginning of the of October of August first. And so the the herd hadn't really congealed and started moving south as like a huge herd. Mm-hmm. There was just like ones and twos. So I think we were a little bit early uh, in the season, but we did hike past. Um, we were willing to go further than everybody else, but we didn't see anything. And so rather than stay out there on the tundra, um, we went back to the truck. We dried out and you know just got kind of got settled. Um, and it was August first, but it had it snowed six inches the week before. So everything was just super wet and, and kind of miserable. But, um, so it, that, that's definitely an opportunity. You go up there, it's over the counter. You got to figure out a way to get to the, the north side of the Brooks range. But, um, I mean, you're, you're going north of the Arctic circle. Like it's, yeah. you're driving up and over the Brooks range, man. Like you can glass for dull sheep as you're driving there. Like just, just that we saw people on the road who were just driving it just so they could drive to, to dead horse. So, um, that, that's such a, such an amazing experience. It's probably going to be more crowded than you might expect, but just such an amazing experience still. Um, and then there's other opportunities too. There's some draws for caribou. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the biggest threats to caribou hunting opportunities are coming not from anti hunters, but from, uh, the federal subsistence board and like, a I don't know if you have how much time you have, but no, no. Go ahead. Um, to hear it. so Alaska's state constitution writes that game should be um, reserved, protected and managed for use for sustainable use for the residents to be able to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the feds have got a hold of more land and in, I think it was 1980, um, ANILCA, which is a acronym for, something um was passed it provided um 
not preference, but uh, I, I guess maybe preference, but first first dibs uh, to people living in rural communities, which makes total sense. Because if you live somewhere rural and you need to subsist on that meat, then that should probably be like, yeah, you should have first go. Like there's, I have nothing wrong with that. But what it's done is it's allowed the feds to close down certain areas of the state to non-locals. Um, so it's not even like non-residents. It's also me because I live in Ketchikan, which is not considered rural. Mm-hmm. So I could not travel to certain areas that are shut down to non-federally qualified uh, hunters. That gets shut down to me too. Oh wow! Which is which is which is pretty pretty bananas. And uh, I've testified a couple of times, called into some of these uh, meetings, mm-hmm. and I say, hey, you know, well, like I I I grew up in Southeast Alaska. I grew up in a rural community, so I understand how important it is for rural subsistence hunting needs to be protected 100% but shutting down a massive portion there the, there was a, a portion up by Kotzebue that was about the size of Wyoming that was going to be shut down to non-federally qualified uh, hunters and it was just because you know the, the the complaints were the non-resident hunters are trophy hunting their the planes are distracting the herds the herd is too small they uh, are leaving meat, um, and they're not even taking – they're just taking the trophy heads. They're not taking the meat. Um, so all these emotional arguments um, right. were out there uh, in front of the Federal Subsistence Board. But people were testifying, saying that, yeah, you know, the science says that non-federally qualified subsistence – or non-federally qualified hunters are only accounting for less than 8% of the total take. Right. The federal subsistence board still said, nope, we're going to close down. So it ended up not being the entire section, but you're talking about tons of acreage shut wow. down to non-residents and non-federally qualified hunters. So if you don't live in rural Alaska, you can't hunt there, even if you're a resident of Alaska, which is which is kind of crazy because then you're pitting not only resident versus non-resident, mm-hmm. but you're pitting uh, rural versus non-rural. So that's all. That's a whole nother thing. Um, Tyler Friel. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with Tyler Friel? No. Um, he writes for outdoor life, lives in Fairbanks. His uh, podcast is Tundra talk and he's written quite a bit about, uh, about that. So I can send you some links. So, you know, yeah, please get a much better, yeah, a much cool. better idea of actually what's going on. But, uh, the Kotzebue hunt for caribou was, was one of the, was blossoming type of alternatives if you if you didn't want to do the hall road or you had more money to do a fly out mm-hmm. a lot of people were going to kotzebue and flying out of kotzebue but part of that hunt was shut down because of uh the federal subsistence board and it was favoring uh rural hunters in the area over non-residents and fellow alaska residents so hmm. that's kind of the biggest the biggest threat to hunting up here but crazy i Kind of took it in a negative turn no, there, man. Dude, Sorry. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's okay. Well, these, are the kind of, these are the things we got to talk about, though, you know. People don't understand. Like, here I am, a guy that's been wanting to go up there for many, many years, and I keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And now the opportunity is slowly dwindling. Like, you know, and not because there's not animals there, but there's less and less opportunity to go hunting. You know, stuff like this happens. And then, you know, the other thing is the cost, too. So I remember, I don't even know how many years ago it was, but it wasn't, 
you know, I was well into my adulthood. I think I was in my thirties. I can go hunting and this might've been Canada, but not Alaska for caribou, get two caribou. And it was like 2,500 bucks. Like now, if you were to go with an outfitter and do that, that hunt is like three or four times as much. Oh yeah, yeah, not not even close. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the unfortunate thing too is that there's um, um, in a, it was the, the the caribou in the the herd in the thirteen, um, unit thirteen, the Nelchina herd. Uh huh. Those numbers have been dropping, um, and that's kind of concerning. And so I I, I think the two most easily accessible caribou herds one are um hunts one is that hall road hunt the other one is the one that's out of fairbanks and that's the 40 mile herd the 40 mile herd was down to about i think it was like it was less than ten thousand in the 70s mm-hmm. and so through good management and i guess again just ebb and flow like you're gonna have your populations are not gonna stay steady they're gonna they're gonna peak and they're gonna valley it's just a matter of hopefully management keeps the peaks and the valleys in a more consistent sort of undulation rather than, you know, really high and then absolutely crash. Uh, so the 40 mile herd was back to a point where, um, it was up around 80,000. So from less than 10,000 up to over 80,000, a lot of that had to do with predator management too. It was allowing, um, aerial wolf hunts and wolf trapping and whatnot to allow you know people to be able to get their food. If you're living in Fairbanks, everything is so expensive, it's so stinking cold. Like let people go out and get some food. Mm-hmm. So um, I went up there in March of 2021 with a buddy, and it was negative 30. So we we drove out the road, and they happened to have a a, a winter quota. So there was the um, kind of summer quota which mm-hmm. is i think maybe three thousand, and so people are going out there they're using atvs they're using all this stuff they're driving around and it's just that quota is met very very quickly it's a registration hunt it's met very very quickly because of tons of people going up there it's on the road system it happens they shut it down and they open another quota later on in the year when the snow is falling so that the people and the traffic on the tundra aren't doing damage to the habitat mm, okay and they also allowed, because the population had recovered so much, they thought, or they're looking at, okay, well, is, is the habitat lush enough to support this amount of animals? And so because it was deemed it might not be, we were allowed to shoot cows. So you can shoot cows. Um, and again, it was within the, the what's, what's the carrying capacity of this area, science, science-based. Um, and so went up there in in march of uh, 2021 it was snowing miserable i think that one was only accessible to residents i'm not sure if that was a registration for both residents and non-residents but i'm not sure how many non-residents wanted to go to fairbanks to shoot a an antlerless bull uh or a cow in uh in negative 30 but uh, mm-hmm. uh went out and, and and shot a shot a cow the meat tasted great the roads were icy it was negative 30 um, but it was just, it was a great success story for that, for that herd, but that herd is the herd's numbers are down a little bit and that's highly regulated with the registration hunt. So if you want to do that one, that's a good one, but there's going to be a ton of people around. Um, so, you know, I think you choose your species, but you also choose what type of experience you want to have. 
And if you want solitude, then you're going to have to pay more money. You're going to have to, you know, fly into somewhere, then fly out. Um, And then, you know, if you're okay with people, if you're okay with, you know, maybe walking further, then, you know, that's an opportunity you can have. So um, I think the initial statement about the most marketed hunts are the most hunts that have been talked about a lot were the um, black tail deer on Prince of Wales, black tail on Kodiak, Kotzebue caribou, Hall Road caribou. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's still some opportunity, but you're, you're going to get, you know, word is out on a lot of the stuff. So, you know, it's kind of a, is what it is, but you know, you make it happen and have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shit, man, there's a lot to unpack. I got, I still got to, I still got to do, do my due diligence here and figure out something, what I want to do. Uh, caribou or blacktail is probably what's on the menu and it'd probably be, you know, an August hunt. Um, I'm just going to figure it out. So now that the caribou hunt's also in August too, right? Yeah. The caribou hunt, uh, opens, um, August, August 1st is kind of like the official start of, of hunting season in a lot of areas. And there's actually that federal subsistence board, that federal regulations, the federal meddling that I've been talking about, that mm-hmm. also applies to Prince of Wales Unit 2. The season starts August 1st, but if you are federally qualified, you get to start a week early. Oh. And on federal land in Unit 2, you can't hunt until the 16th of August because federal regulations supersede state regulations. So a good portion of Unit 2 Prince of Wales Island is on federal land. So so you can hunt state land, but not federal land until the 16th, unless you are south pretty much of most of the communities on Prince of Wales Island. So it's that's the one complication as easy as it is to apply for tags, as easy as it is to look up each unit by, by, um, um, species. or each, each species by unit. Mm-hmm. Um, the complications end up being with those federal subsistence guidelines. And so a lot of people that fly into, uh, Southern Prince of Wales Island are flying in on August 1st or before that, because that area is not accessible to road. So it's not part of the federal federal regulation. So I'll send you a link with uh, all that information so you can kind of make sense of it. I didn't mean to get too confused there. But, uh, yeah, the federal regulations, in addition to the state regulations, tends to be the thing that gets most people confused uh, when it comes to Alaska because there's, you know, you don't have that discrepancy in other states. Right. Yeah. Jesus, man, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, awesome, man. Um, well, I think I've, I've digested all that I can at this point <laughs> for now. <laughs> um, so I'll probably have to have you back on um, when I kind of figure out what I want to do and, you know, talk a little bit more and pick your pick your brain a little bit more. Yeah. But I yeah, pre- I would say, like, in closing, just to make sure we cover that, that uh, the application for the draw, um, mm-hmm. it ends on December 15th. Yep. It's uh it's currently open right now. It's five dollars per like uh, hunt. Yeah. So if you want to put all your eggs in one basket, you can go up to six, um, like tags or tickets or whatever for whatever draw you want. Uh, mm-hmm. Up to six for the one, 
if you want to split it. So if you want to go like uh, a mountain goat hunt up north and a mountain goat uh, hunt out south, you can split them. So you have your first choice, second choice. Um, but you can put all your eggs in one basket and put as much opportunity as you can into one hunt. Um, there's a there's Alaska Department of Fish and Game Alaska drawing permit hunt supplement that kind of gives you some information about uh, what you need to do, control use areas, uh, guide information, all that. I'll send that to you too. Cool. Um, but that's open now until August uh, or till uh, December 15th. And then they usually release the drawings around Valentine's Day, which is kind of ironic, I guess, knowing that our hearts are going to get broken. I've never drawn anything. So that's uh, usually around Valentine's Day. I figure out that <laughs> I'm not going to end up drawing anything. But um, oh, uh, yeah, so it's open now. You can go online. You can do that at Alaska Department of Fishing Game. And um, there that is. Awesome, man. I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. All Good right. to talk to you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. See you.